Good morning, all you Oregonian lovers, or Oregon lovers. Um, you're listening to On the Menu with Anne and Peter Hay, and we're going to bring to you um, references and interviews, talks with two wonderful operations in Oregon. Uh, first up, um, let's put this at the top of our fave list of wines, is Elk Cove. We're going to talk to um, Anna Campbell, who is, of course, the, uh, a member of the founding family yes. of Elk Cove. And we interviewed her brother a long time ago. Anna uh, Campbell. Yeah, and anyhow. Um, so, but we're going to talk about this wonderful winery. Um, well, I mean, why don't we just listen to Anna? Okay, yeah. Oh, the whole thing about Elkhove is a great story. It's a great family story. But not, not only that, it's great wine, which you'll enjoy just as we did. So, here's Anna. I promised Anna Campbell that I would tell her the story of how our relationship with Elkhove took place. So I'm going to do it right now. And the guilty party is a restaurateur who is at the lead leading the pack in fine dining in Portland called Greg Higgins. Oh, Greg, yes. And Greg Higgins... We love Greg. Greg Greg served as a wine called La Boheme in 1982, which we can can still remember. It was so delicious. Wow. You don't have any left, do you? (laughs) So it was the 1982 vintage, or...? Yeah, and I think that was... I think it was the first vintage... And it was dedicated to the Portland Opera. So that would have been 1992. Maybe it was 1992. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. And, and the Portland Opera, they put on La Boheme that year. And so yeah, we, um, and we continue to do some, some fundraising with them, uh, with that wine. Now we, we discovered Elcove really out of the blue. We were going to a wedding in Newport, Oregon the home of Rogue Ales. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have anything to do on the Saturday before the wedding. So we drove from Newport to Gaston, Oregon, and paid a visit to Elk Cove. And that, that's, that was quite a drive. Yes, um, but a beautiful drive. But this, yes. And this wine was worth every mile. <laughs> Lovely. It's so good to hear that. So, so, bring, so bring us up to date on on where you are relative to those relatively humble beginnings. Yes. Well, we've grown a lot um, since the 80s and 90s. Um, we plant about 10 or 20 acres a year, and uh, we've really focused on farming. And so um, we've really grown along with our estate vineyards. Um, so we now farm about 400 acres of mostly Pinot Noir and cool climate white wines here in the northern Willamette Valley. We farm on six estate sites, um, and we're now in the second generation. So uh, my folks have retired, and uh, my brother and I are now part of the business. No, we got the story, we got the story of the founding of Elko from your, from your brother. I don't know if this is a true story or not. But the story goes that he expressed an interest. He was a doctor, right? Your father was a doctor? Yes. And apparently he always wanted to have a winery in Oregon, so he decided he would do that. So he talked to his wife, Mrs. Campbell, and Mrs. Campbell asked him a very cogent question. Just exactly, Dr. Campbell, how many Pinot Noirs from Oregon have you ever tasted? <laughs> and, and he gave, and according to Adam, he gave an honest answer, which was zero. Yes. Well, there weren't that many when they started. So no, they, um, they they planted their first vines in 1974. Right. And no, and we were, were actually they were, they were among the very first mm-hmm. because the first, I guess the, the first Oregon Pinot Noirs go go back to the 1960s, but not very far. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so, uh, and, and luckily my mother had a farming background, so uh, she, she grew up on a pear and apple orchard by Mount Hood, and oh. so she brought, she brought her farming 
knowledge and uh and her her father uh my grandpa Mers he uh was a con- an early consultant uh for Elk Cove. That's that's wonderful. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Why why do you think Elk Cove has been so successful? Cause, because by by any measure that that has to be true. That has to be a claim that you can make. Uh, no, we're we're close to the top of the tree, if not the top of the tree, in Oregon Pinot Noirs. How come? Uh, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I think it's really about well, two things. I think it's about uh, farming. You can't make great wine without impeccable farming, and we really focus on improving our farming every year. Um, and then, you know, the other answer I think is is community. Like that, we have um, we've always had a lot of um, community support. And you know, my parents would never have learned to make wine without um, that early community of of winemakers here in Oregon. Um, who were who the guys who really started it out? Um, well, David Lett, um, Papa Pino, and uh, uh, Chuck Corey, who we um, bought our our first grapevines from. Uh, he was a, a winemaker, and he had a, a, a plant nursery in those early days. Um, and then, you know, we were, I think we were number six here in the Willamette Valley. So um, it was, uh, you know, it was a lot of trial and error early on. And, you know, m- more recently, we've learned a lot from, uh, you know, winemaking students from around the world. Our associate oh, yeah. winemaker was studied winemaking in Australia. Um, and then we still have just this, you know, this famously tight community uh, of wineries here in the Willamette Valley. And we we don't consider each other competitors so much as, as friends and family and you know, I think we've really worked together to build uh, the the Oregon uh, wine reputation. And quite, and quite an interesting number of winemakers and wine vineyard owners are women like yourself. Yeah, more and more. I, lo- I love I love Willa Kenzie. Just it mm. just makes me smile every time. Every time I hear the word, I smile. And I, and, I remember, and, I, and I remember the story that Mrs. Willa Kenzie told, that, that she said, we're, we're divorced, but we still live in the same house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do all tr- we try to get along here in Oregon. That's, I think, part of, part of the culture here. And, um, now, now let's, yeah. let's, let's not, we're going to come back and talk about the flagship wine. But one mm-hmm. of the things that interested us when we joined the wine club, from which we, we were subsequently fired, thanks to, <laughs> thanks to the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board, mm-hmm. and uh, but you also grew white wines, and I, yes. I remember I remember the Chardonnay that you grew was was very similar to the Chardonnays we tasted in Western Australia, and there was mm. there's got there's got to be a a reason for that that you might have mentioned earlier on in our conversation. But the wine I remember most was a Viognier. Mm. I don't even know if you would remember we, even making yeah, it. Yeah, and we don't you, we don't make the make, Viognier now. Well, you you, you did. You mm. did and I I I bought about 20% of the crop. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it was a very very small plot. Um Yeah, we we, but, we, we were we were in a we were in a Viognier phase, and Anne was mm. in particular in love with Viognier. Yeah, and I don't she, know why she, I was. In fact, I mean, you, it's you, great. You de- you declared that French Viognier was much more interesting than American Viognier, and I yes. said, "Yeah, but you for- you've forgotten about the Elk Cove." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we we love those cool climate white wines. Um, and so, so that's that's been a real focus. I think you know everyone in Oregon focuses on Pinot Noir. Pinot, uh, right? Yeah, but we you, we also we love those those fresh, uh, cool climate white wines. Um, so currently, we make a Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc. Uh, we make three different Rieslings, um, okay. and we've uh, we're starting to do more with sparkling wine as well. And well, we um, we I, got that uh, that was actually the hook. On the email you sent us was mm. the, uh, the yeah the, the sparkling um, uh, 
Rosé. That was a press release you did or somebody did. Mm. Yeah, those are those are my emails. I, I write our emails. So I, I, I do our, our marketing and all of our creative uh, okay. communications. Yeah, but we just, you know, we love sparkling wine and, you know, I think I think this year, uh, especially, you know, we're looking for small things to celebrate. Um, you know, I got to have dinner inside with my parents for the first time in a year the other day, and oh, wow. you know, there's just just nothing like a, a sparkling wine for, um, you know, s- starting that celebratory meal or you know, welcoming someone to your table. Do you know Joyce Sterling? Joyce Sterling. It sounds yeah, sounds familiar. Iron Horse. Iron Horse. Mm-hmm. She's, she runs the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, uh, her we, father founded the company. Yeah, well, mm. We we had we had lunch we had lunch with the with the founding father. Barry is estate. now mm. dead, and Audrey. And, uh, they, they made ten different sparkling wines, and we sampled all of them at lunch. Oh wow. We, you could get. You should get to know get, uh, Joy because she's uh, really fun. Have to, have to go. Go you to the Russian really River on. Valley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's much fun. Really much fun. Yeah, yeah. And they. Um, it sounds like they, they do their own. Um, their own bottling, which is something you know we. Um, we bottle all of our own except for the sparkling wines. That's the one thing we outsource because it is. It's a real complex. Process yeah, that's the only thing they a, tra- they do. a traditional yeah. sparkling wine. Well, mm-hmm. it's really it's really funny. We some somebody once gave us a uh, a wine stopper, actually mm-hmm. a handful of different wine stoppers, and w- and one of them was specially designed for sparkling wine. Mm-hmm. And we and we said to the to the person who gave it to us, we said, but but how often do you have sparkling wine left over <laughs> in the bottle? The answer in this house is it, it somehow finds its way on the way to the refrigerator. It finds someone who's willing to try just another glass. Yeah, <laughs> it is an easy bottle to finish for sure. Well, now, now, now I'm going to give you now I'm going to give you the floor and have you describe what what you think are the reasons why Elko Pinot Noir is particularly excellent. We already know yeah. we're sold. But you have, you have, you have, <laughs> well, you have an yeah, audience I, all across the world. I, I think it really goes uh, back to the farming and the fact that you know we farm on the three primary soil types here in the Willamette Valley. We, fa- we farm from, from 200 feet elevation all the way up to eight, 800 feet elevation and on all sorts of different types of aspects and steepness and you know I, I think you can you can get into the weeds geeking out about about um, vineyard site but uh, you know at the end of the day we just we get a, a good variety of fruit from our vineyards and um, you know it's all ripe but but you know we get really different flavors from those different vineyard sites and so it, it allows us to just have all these options for blending, uh, especially because we, you know, we ferment each block separately, um, and then everything goes into barrels. Um, so it really allows our winemakers a lot of um, just breadth of, of options uh, when they put that wine together uh, to give yeah, it a, a really there's, lovely there's, balance. There's a particular geology I've forgotten the name now, which is which is the which is the underlying soil. It goes into Oregon Pinot Noirs. What's it called? Well, we have um, so, a so, or something like that. Yeah, so so we've got we've got three different soil types here, and and one is Jory, uh, which is it's actually the Oregon State soil type. Um, so that's that, that's, that's about that's our most famous soil. Yeah, and it's basalt. It's it's based on kind of the breakdowns of basalt. So it's a volcanic soil. Um, so when you if you fly into Portland and you see those those big, beautiful mountains, those volcanoes, that's, uh, that's where that soil comes from. Um, but then we also have um, our laurelwood soil, which is a, a windblown uh, soil that has roots in the, in the Missoula floods. And then uh, up here in, in the foothills of the coast range, we actually have a marine sedimentary soil. 
uh, and that's that Willikensee soil. Um, oh, wow. So, so it all goes back to this. You know, Oregon has this wild geog- geology, uh, which right. is why it's a great. You know, it's a great place for people who are who love the outdoors. Um, but it's also a great place to grow uh, to grow grapes. Why? Well, it certainly is. <laughs> and, and they and they and they keep for a long time. Yeah, we we yeah. yeah. I think I yeah. think I finally finished. I was wondering. We there was a special the last, event. The, what was the it? Last of the, it was always my birthday. Oh, okay. And I think I, I think I drank the last one on my last birthday. Mm. But, it, but 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 you you had names for them. One of them was called Roosevelt. Yes. And the, and then the other the other flagship wine. What, what was its name? Uh, well, for single vineyard wines, we've got uh, Roosevelt and La Boheme, Mount Richmond. There was another one. There was another one. Started with a G, I thought. Goodrich. Okay. Well, well. Anyway, I bought I bought some and I kept it and I kept it and I kept it, and then mm-hmm. I drank it all to myself. I didn't. I didn't even <laughs> give any. any. Mhm. Well, they do. They do age beautifully. That gives you an idea that it's pretty special wine. Mm-hmm. Now what what yeah. are we sipping what are we sipping right now? What what is it that we're sipping that people are going to be able to find in their best wine store? Yeah, so I would start with that that Pinot Gris. Okay. And that is our um our highest production white wine. It's uh it's you know, it's really gained popularity because it's uh it's popular with chefs and so it's been on it a lot is, of wine wine it's list. Very good with food, yeah. Yeah, it's you know it's just so complimentary to such a variety of foods. Um, mm-hmm. You know, any starter, um, any salad course. Um, it's just it's a, it's a very versatile white wine, um, and and it's great for home chefs too because it is it is so easy to to pair with. But it's great on its own too, and and it's distributed in all fifty states and a few international markets. So. Um, so fairly easy to find at your at your local grocery store as well. And guess and guess what's in the refrigerator for dinner with <laughs> tomorrow tomorrow night? It's being served with South Coast tilapia from our from our seafood wolf supplier seafood. in New York. Wolf fish. Uh, wolf fish. That sounds lovely. You know them? So that's, so yeah, that's great. Well, it would like, we spoiled ourselves last night. We had farmed drum from Mauritius. In the Indian Ocean, mm. and, that, and that was served with a with a really fine 19, 2000, 2018 Pinot Noir from the estate of Hau Cove. I wonder why. Oh, good. I wonder why, I wonder why we good. tried that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a, it's a it's a great red wine with fish. Our our favorite is is to have uh, that estate Pinot Noir uh, with barbecued salmon. Yeah, yeah. Since we're here in the Northwest, we yeah, yeah, we well, love our barbecued yeah. salmon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this yeah, held up it's, with a, um, like a it wasn't really um, crushed tomatoes. It was kind of tomatoes. I mean, I may do them again it, tonight. It, it was somebody's bottled puttanesca sauce. <laughs> oh yeah, it was puttanesca sauce. <laughs> we hope, but it turned out, but it turned out pretty good. It turned out really good, but the uh, crushed tomatoes that um, had been sitting in the refrigerator, I, I saw them and I said, you're not really expecting to see that. It's, co- it's covered with black mold. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I guess it, we could have washed it all down with the peanut. <laughs> we don't recommend that. <laughs> no, well, we, we discarded that. Puttanesca sounds better. Well, there's, there's one glass left from last night, and I have mm. it in hiding. Oh, I didn't see it. It's because I have it in hiding. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, P- yeah, Pinot Noir. I mean, you, you fish with red sauce. Like that's that's kind of a classic. It's those, it's those in between, yeah. um, those in between dishes where you know the, the the typical recommendation would be well, you know white wine with fish, red wine with a red sauce. Well, what do you do when you've got a red sauce and fish? Um, Pinot Noir is perfect for that. I, I my favorite pairing is Pinot Noir with pizza. Oh, oh right, that would be great. Yeah. yeah. Why not? No, no, in in that case, do you, do you serve it in a 
burgundy glass or do you serve it in a Bordeaux glass or do you just serve it in a tumbler? Oh, well, we actually, <laughs> I serve it in whatever glass I haven't broken. Um, <laughs> but I do love, uh, we, you know, we, we sell um, Oregon Pinot Noir glasses if you want to geek out on, on glasses. But they're, they're, um, they've got a nice big bowl to them. So that's much, that's much like a burgundy. Yes, glass. yes, very similar. And we we did a um, a tasting with was a with the Riedel. Riedel, yeah, yeah, mm. um, and they really highlighted the difference between the shape of the. I mean, every single different wine with every single different glass, and I was absolutely blown away because they had. Another whole set of glasses for Australian wines, <laughs> with yeah. all the different types. I mean, I didn't think there was that much. I, mean, well, I know there was difference, but you know, to have all the different set of glasses designed just for your country's wine. So yeah, you for, you've forgotten about Esch, that German. Oh, yeah, the, the one German, that breathes through glass. Kind of like Riedel. Yeah, they they declared on a that their glass. The glassware would breathe. Breathe. Breathe breathable glass. In 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 all kinds of in all kinds of different sizes too. What what's Uh, the benefit of the breathable glass? It means you means you don't have to decant quite as early. Ah. So so it will so it will it will if you like it will it will do the decanting for you. That is fascinating. We're not so sure about that. <laughs> I'll have yeah. to try it. You, yeah, you know, yeah. one of our one of our favorite glassware tests is to to try a, a sparkling wine in a in a burgundy glass versus uh-huh. in a in a flute. And what do you think? Right. Do you like it? Well, and we've you know, flutes are are beautiful and festive, um, but we've just we've decided to go away from flutes and and serve our our sparkling wine for tasting in in the the burgundy style glasses because it oh, is nice. easier to taste. Uh, well, you do get more aromatic, from it. and you don't well. get the spritzes up your nose either. Oh yeah, well we <laughs> use the, the old style uh, champagne glass with the coupe. Mm. Yes. Now the in, the interesting thing is that in, in Australia, and you, there's no reason you would know this unless you've been out there, but. Uh, a favorite wine all across the country is a sparkling Shiraz. Oh yeah, that's which, a, which is startling look to it. A very, mm-hmm. a very deep dark color, and of course mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a sparkling wine. Comes comes in a glass, kind of like a burgundy glass, and it's mm-hmm. very popular for weddings, not not weddings and funerals, just weddings. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know. If, yeah, that's. That's fascinating, yeah. Um, I have had I have had a sparkling Shiraz, and it's um, there you go. Okay. Yeah, it's it's it definitely plays with your mind if you if you're used to having yeah <laughs> if you're used to having your your red wine still. <clears throat> yeah, but I mean, it's just it's such a deep red. It's just a knockout. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see why yeah, people would like it for weddings. Yeah, yeah. pretty pretty yeah. pretty. So, anyhow, um, anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to uh, add? Well, have you have you tried our sparkling wine? You didn't mention if you if you had it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, popped it's the cork the, yet. It's in, the refri- it's in the refrigerator. We haven't popped the cork on that one yet. We will. Well, <laughs> I, I do hope you I do hope you enjoy it. We uh, oh, tell you, me we about really it because you were very it. proud of it. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's made from our Laboam Vineyard, which is our highest elevation vineyard. Um, and it's actually the first fruit we harvest every year, so it kind of kicks off harvest for us. And um, it's all, all Pinot Noir except for the dosage, which is our ultimate dessert wine. Um, so it's it's just uh, lovely. It has this kind of, you know, strawberry and melon aromatics and... Um, you know, a lot of kind of lime and lemon on the palate, um, but I, uh, you know, I just I I love it, and I'm very excited that we're um, for the 2017 vintage. We'll we'll be actually making three different sparkling wines. Oh, really? Good. That's wonderful. Yeah, well, so well, we're expanding our sparkling wine program. We actually have a refrigerator that's dedicated to sparkling wine. So. <laughs> 
That's you must I, think we're nuts. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's I want one of did, those. That's why we didn't get to the Brut Rosé just yet. <laughs> well, I'm sure you have some pretty amazing wines there. There, 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 we are, some, there are some interesting ones. The most, the most interesting one. Sweet, that was was it was it from Brazil? It was we had a sparkling wine. From, I don't we're, remember. We're, what we're, somewhere, about. we're somewhere, we're somewhere really unusual. Mm. And I don't remember what you're talking well, about. Well, I'll have to look. I'll have to look at the bottle. That'll tell me. Okay. In the, in the meantime. Elk Cove wines are widely available in distribution across the country, Anna? Yes, they are. We are in all 50 states, and, and we also ship to most states. There's a couple that give us trouble, but... Um, uh, well, we you have, don't have the have... trouble with Pennsylvania <laughs> anymore, are you? You know, I think we're, we are back in Pennsylvania, I believe. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's opened up yeah, a we lot. Yeah, we've shipped to Pennsylvania. Yeah, and then we're in, a, we're in a handful of international markets, too. So Good. Australia, Canada, um, Bermuda, Korea, um, Puerto Rico... And we're also in Korea. The is that a big market? You know, it could be. <laughs> you know, I think all of all of our international markets are fairly small volume, but you know, we love trying wines from around the world, especially uh, wines from cool climates, um, like like our climate. So, um, you know, I think it's it's more of a labor of love than you know a, a big sales volume for us. Mm-hmm. Well, they they say one of the the fastest growing wine markets is China. And, For sure. You know, there, of course, there's their um, population, but they're they're actually having population growth issues problems because of that one mm-hmm. uh, child thing that they did. Yeah, yeah, and we we have distributed some in in China and Hong Kong. It's um it, it's definitely a, a difficult um, market to. Um, get into and just well, in terms of Hong the, Kong right now, the tar- tariffs jail. and distribution. <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's like all all those international markets they can be challenging to set up, um, but there's such rewards and you know we we love forming those um, those relationships you know across across the world. I mean, it's one of the things we love about wine is how how very international it is. Yeah, well, the, we've interviewed a number of, of spice. Uh, importers because uh, blenders because um, with so many people now cooking um, there's this renewed interest in, in the spice roots and these people travel all over except that they're all um, stymied by the the um, pandemic but they go to these really out of the way places and find these little teeny farmers <laughs> and they do everything by hand it's really amazing listening to their stories well, yeah, and it's, it's really opened up recently. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, it's, it's everything, I think, in the food world and restaurant world has taken a big hit. Um, oh, but it's hard. We're looking forward hard. to that coming back, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the story of today's program, Anna. We enjoyed very much talking to you. We enjoyed reliving the experience of drinking your beautiful wines and we wish you continued success with everything you do. Our very best regards to your brother, who may or may not remember that we showed up one day. I will <laughs> say hello for you. And, and to your father for well, being extraordinarily bold. Well, thank you. Thank you, Anne, and thank you, Peter, thank you. for having me on the show. I really, really appreciate it, and I love the show. Uh, I feel very close to uh, Elko, so... I, I'm well, very come, come visit us. Come visit I us. No, we can't go anywhere. We love that. <laughs> yes. so when when travel soon. becomes easier, we'd love to have you out. Thank you. I hope to see you then as soon as we get opened up. Yes. Thanks a lot. Anna. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Next up, we're going to be talking to Margaret Marguerite Merritt of Rogue Creamery, 
who has an interesting, fun thing to do for a little more excitement. You can pair cheese with, which is, of course, road cream, right, with chocolate. In this case, is a little neighboring farm called Lily Bell Farms, and uh, it's founded by chocolatier Jeff Shepard, although he won't be talking to us. We'll be talking to Marguerite. Um, and, and it works. I mean, she'll tell you how. Well, be, be aware that Lily Bell Farms just, just won some really big international award. Yes, we should talk about that. So, I mean, we, we, we ate that too. What? <laughs> so we drank the wine. We wait, did all the, yeah. Wait, <laughs> wait, wait the chocolate. We're totally immoderate. <laughs> and if we, if we really push Debbie Gremmels, I'm sure he'll send us some more cheese too. <laughs> so. You pretty much single-handedly yeah. killed the cheese and the chocolate. <laughs> no, 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 the, the, uh, the cheddar, which is referenced in the, in the, Interview yes. yeah. is, is, is in and of itself a work of art, and the people from Cheddar in southwest, southwestern England would be proud of it, assuming they knew it existed. Yeah. In the meantime, we're glad we do, and you will too if you like that kind of stuff. We go. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes those gremlins wake up and <laughs> they do wake up gremlins. <laughs> And, uh, they, they, Friday they, afternoon they, gremlins. I had to start over but on on the phone with us all the all the way from the far golden west of the United States, the state called Oregon. We have Marguerite. Marguerite, what's your last name? I've forgotten. Merritt. Merritt. Merritt, yeah. And, and Marguerite Merritt works for one of our f- absolute favorite purveyors of a, a substance. We love so much called cheese, <laughs> and if you, take not, if you take nothing else away from this recording, take this away with you because Rogue Creamery from Oregon makes some of the best cheese in the whole world. Yes, <laughs> and we started interviewing them, and we we interviewed the original owners. How long ago was that? Remember? I don't, I don't know. You, you just won a big award at, at the London Cheese Festival. Okay, right back in 2002 then, probably. When it was a long, long time ago. And, yeah, uh, yeah. We, we absolutely adore every cheese you make. But you decided on something entirely different and candidly in my view of the world, a little bit out of left field which is pairing cheese with something else that people like a lot. What's that, Marguerite? Chocolate. You know, there are no <laughs> two better things in the world, if you ask me. <laughs> now, now, who, who came up with this idea? You know, uh, it, it's sort of been an idea that's been blossoming for a while. Uh, we, in here in Southern Oregon, we are located right next door to one of the finest chocolatiers on the West Coast. Uh, they are Lily Bell Farms Artisan Chocolates. And, uh, they've been our next door neighbors for mm, over a dozen years, and we've been collaborating with them on small projects here and there this entire time. And we decided, you know, everyone's tired of this pandemic. We all need something to enjoy. And why not cheese and chocolate made right here in Southern Oregon? So uh, it seemed a natural partnership, and they have some beautiful chocolates that we are excited oh, to share yes. with our cheeses. Oh, they do. They're, they're... Their chocolate bars are almost as out of this world as rogue creamery cheese. <laughs> well, it was a, an apt partnership. It, yes. it, it, it certainly was. Now, explain what was put together for the pairing sure. and why. Sure. So we selected two rogue creamery cheeses, one blue and one cheddar. Uh, and then we went to Jeff Shepard, the head chocolatier and owner of Lily Bell, and said, okay, uh, help us choose cheeses, uh, chocolates that will pair beautifully with these cheeses. Got and we so tasted started, over so a dozen. 
So you started with cheese. Exactly. Right. We started with the cheeses we knew we wanted to share and that we had a, uh, a suspicion would be uh, really good paired with his cheese, chocolate. So then we went over and tasted uh, almost 12 different types of chocolate from him, most of which were all uh, 100% single origin bean to bar chocolate. And, uh, and are they all from all Peru? The combination. And no, all from actually... Peru. Uh, no, they're from all over the world. So we okay. tasted uh, chocolate from uh, Africa, chocolate from Jamaica, uh, chocolate from Ethiopia. Uh, you know, there were so many different varieties of single origin chocolate. And that was part of the probably the most interesting part for me, which was the vast uh, differences between these these chocolates. I had sort of been of the opinion that dark chocolate sort of tastes like dark chocolate and that's it. But my, oh, there's a, a world out there of depth and complexity when it comes to the flavors that you can get out of a single origin bean-to-bar chocolate. It's amazing, isn't it? Right. No, you get some, you get, but you get some amazing tastes out of road creamery cheese too, right? Oh, absolutely. And so it was a really enlightening and eye-opening opportunity to see the how much complexity there is in the chocolate. It really mirrors what we're doing in cheese. And so it seemed a, a perfect opportunity to, to bring them together and highlight certain flavors we like particularly well. Uh, in this case, uh, we chose their Columbia 70% dark chocolate, which is a beautifully fruity dark chocolate. I love uh, and that. And paired it with our, yeah, and it pairs beautifully with our blue cheeses, and particularly this cheese we chose, Blue Horn Blue, which is a yep. red wine-soaked blue. Uh, and the red wine finish really gives the cheese, a, a, a highlights the fruity note in the cheese, and it highlighted the chocolate fruitiness as well. And it just made a magical combination. Now, did you you did actually did this at an event? Am I am I remembering a correctly? virtual event? Oh, it was a virtual event. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I mean, there, I mean, the I mean, Oregon I mean, Chocolate Festival. <laughs> yes. There you go. Tell us it was how held it virtually this year. Mm -hmm. Sure. So it's typically a live event, and last year it was actually able to take place, but it was the last live event that any of us remember for uh, the past year. Uh, it, uh, we went into lockdown shortly after the Chocolate Festival concluded last year. So uh, they decided the show must go on this year, even though they needed to transform the festival into a virtual format. Uh, and they put together a wonderful show of over a, uh, 20 different uh, independent uh, segments, uh, all different uh, and all featuring different aspects of the chocolate making process, the chocolate sourcing process, chocolate pairings such as ours with cheese, uh, chocolate recipes. There's so much great content put together for the Oregon Chocolate Festival, and we were very honored to have the cheese and chocolate segment. Now, when, when, did, when did that happen? That was uh, just last weekend, actually, it took oh, place. Wow. Okay. So the content is still available online for viewing for anyone who purchased the, <laughs> That's what the, I wanted the to virtual pass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to yeah, ask exactly. you, is it saved somewhere that people could access it? Yes, so all the videos are on YouTube. I don't know if you can access them uh, for free publicly or if you need, uh, if you're, it's only for private access. I'll have to look into that. Uh, I believe because the festival, uh, people purchase tickets to uh, quote unquote oh, right. attend the festival uh, uh, to help support the, the festival and keep it going year after year. They did charge a small fee for the the experience, and so I don't know if it's open to the general public uh, at this point. It may be. Maybe it was just for the first few days it's uh, private, but I'll, I'll look into it, and I'll share that link with you. Sure. Now, is, it, is it possible that people can participate by obtaining the beautiful cheese and the beautiful chocolate that were part of the montage? I mean, is, is, is Absolutely. That, is that so, something that came, came, came in a box to our house? Yes, I'm exactly. Guessing, so I'm so, guessing people probably can. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, so we, we did this whole partnership with the idea of debuting it for the Oregon Chocolate Festival, but we are continuing to offer this cheese and chocolate tasting on its own uh, through RogueCreamery.com. So anyone who purchases oh, okay. this tasting assortment will get a link to view the recorded tasting session, uh, which features myself uh, and my colleague at Rogue Creamery, Alex Palomo, who is a uh, cheese pairing expert, new to our team. And uh, it was his first opportunity to taste a lot of these Lily Bell chocolates. And so we invited Jeff Shepard, the chocolatier at yeah. Lily Bell, to yeah. join us on this call. And so it's a fun conversation. It's about 25 minutes. We go over how, why we chose these chocolates and how they pair together and what interesting combinations are created by the pairings. And uh, it, it was a, a, a lovely event, and I highly recommend it. And, and people can still get the, the box for themselves yes, if so through, it, through it the is website. still available, yes, through RogueCreamery.com. And we don't have a huge, uh, huge quantity of the boxes left. It was a, a limited edition thing, and I would expect it will be sold out in the next mm, three to four weeks probably. Sure. Now, in the, in the meantime, what, el- what else is uh, David and the, the leaders of Rogue Creamery up to? Usually usually something new and exciting. Sure, yeah. Well, actually, this ties in perfectly to the other cheese in the box, which is uh, a new cheddar that we've just debuted. It's called Cheese is Love Cheddar. Uh, And it's an extra-aged cheddar. Yeah. And the whole, the the impetus behind Cheese is Love actually ties into the the Almeida fire, which uh, took place here in Oregon last fall. And the thousands of community members' homes were burned down in this devastating fire. And we've been looking for ways that Rogue Creamery can, can help support those in our community who are in need and who still struggle to find housing and put food on the table. And there are so many disaster relief organizations and programs in place that it was hard to figure out where our niche was. But if we have a niche, it's obviously cheese. (laughs) And so we launched this new cheese program. So for every block of cheese is love that we are able to sell, we'll donate the same quantity to uh, local area food banks to support oh, those uh, in the, our neighborhoods who no longer have homes and uh, who need that extra support to feed their families. Now, if I, if, I, if I were to make an observation about road creamery cheese, I would say absolutely the most sensational part of your portfolio is blue cheese. So, so absolutely, why, why, yes. <laughs> why, why, why all of a sudden go to cheddar? So we have actually been making cheddar for a lot longer than oh, we've okay. been making blue. Uh, we've been, uh, Row Creamery has been around since 1933, and we started creating blue cheese in the 50s. But before then, we were making cheddar. Uh, sometimes, okay. you know, it was originally that, that bright orange dyed cheddar that was most common in the 30s and 40s. Now we make right. a, a more natural style white cheddar. Uh, but Rogue Creamery has been, uh, or pardon me, cheddar has been part of Rogue Creamery's DNA for since since the the first decade of our operation. So we've always been making cheddar, but we just are, we're known for blue. And so probably 80 to 90 percent of our production is in blue cheese. Uh, we do make some delicious cheddars, though. Well, the, I think that the cheddar is really very good, but I think a lot of it has to do with the aging as well. Exactly, right. Uh, If you're able to age a cheddar for three years, such as this one, uh, you really develop beautiful complexity and that notable sharpness, but that's not too bitter. Uh, It's definitely a sharp cheddar, but it has a beautiful sweet cream finish to it as well. Uh, And it's by far my favorite cheddar that we make. I just think that having the ability to age it this long creates something very special. And, 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 the, and the people in Somerset, in the southwest of England, agree. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear it. They, they, they think that cheddar is the noblest of noble cheeses. Uh-huh. Well, it, I, I, I'm preferential to blue, I must say. I, I have to be working for Real Creamery, but I think cheddar is a wonderful cheese, so versatile. It pairs really well with all sorts of beverages and cuisines. Uh, it's, it's 
the everyman's cheese. It's not an expensive cheese to create and uh, or to age even. Uh, so it's a wonderful cheese to be able to offer to the community, especially one like this that has a, a, a noble cause behind it. Yeah, that's that's a very important part of it, and we need our our surfeit of uh, noble causes this time. I think. Um, Marguerite, how long have you been at Rogue? I've been at Rogue about three years now. I okay. am the cheese emissary, is my title, and I oh, uh, spend my days bringing cheese to the world. <laughs> oh, that's funny. What did you do before this? So before I was actually in the nonprofit sector, I was doing marketing and fundraising and outreach for a uh, environmental a, a land trust, actually. And before that, I was actually a, a sommelier in the wine industry. So coming oh, yeah. into Rogue, I brought with me wine knowledge and um, a, a really altruistic bent. Uh, I, I was really looking for a company that I felt was doing good in the world, and that's what drew me to Rogue Creamery. Uh, and so uh, I did not have any experience in cheese, but I, I've always loved cheese, and it felt like the, the perfect next, next chapter in my professional career. Well, okay, well I think well, you, you picked you, a good company. <laughs> we love I it. sure did, and I've been riding that wave ever since. You know, when we won the, the world championship uh, in October of 2019, it was definitely a, a highlight of, of my career, certainly. And, wow, yeah, well, what, a, what an opportunity. You might be interested to know that about an hour ago, a, a box of a delicious beverage from not too far away from you. Oh, the came. Arrived on our doorstep. <laughs> really? Ready, ready, well, ready well, to be tasted for an upcoming program. The wine, the oh, wine is called Elk Cove. Oh, we, Elk we Cove, that. of course. It, we, yes. we, we love Oregon in general, you know. It's just, uh, in fact, Pierre always wanted to live there. Um, it's not my favorite climate, but uh, we love all the people there. It's a wonderful community, and honestly, yeah. the, the the climate change is quite different. For example, here in southern Oregon, it's quite we get warm, dry summers, cool, wet winters, but it's never too cold, and uh, beautiful springs and falls. So uh, it's a where we live, at least, it's very uh, moderate, and uh, there's strong seasons in every direction. It's perfect for growing uh, all sorts of different fruits and vegetables, and of course, raising dairy cows. Uh, up north in Oregon, though, it's it's definitely gray for a good <laughs> four to five months of the year, at least. Okay, I don't think anyway. I could handle Portland. <laughs> anyway, anyway listen, listeners, write write this down for for some of the best cheese in the world, and I we mean that seriously. Rogue Creamery is the place to go if you want the best chocolate on the left coast. Lily Bell Farms is going to take you as about as close as you're ever going to get. And if you hurry, you'll be able to do the tasting that we did, that Marguerite and her colleagues put together. So in the meantime, we hope that you'll have a better season perhaps than you had last year. We're, yes. we're, hoping, we're hoping for better things, and I'm sure you're hoping for better things too. And everything comes to those who wait. Thank you, Marguerite, for taking the time to talk to us about this. Oh, thank you. It's been such a pleasure, and uh, we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Indeed. We we have done it for I don't know how many years now, so we always will be back, and you will oh, always fantastic. be back. Oh, fantastic. And David was delighted to hear that I was coming on to talk about this uh, box with you because he, he sends his his love and uh, hopes for a better year for you as well and that we uh, all continue to, to to find a better path forward out of this pandemic. Oh, thank gosh. you. Well, hugs back to David and uh, talk to you again, Marguerite. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. You too. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, we could easily do one of these chocolate cheese pairings, tastings, with wine added, couldn't we? Could. We could, in fact, in fact we, we, should, we should really have. Yeah, I think so. There was, there was a, uh, one, one, of the, one of the tastes that we got from, from Anna at uh, El Cove was a uh, sparkling wine, a brute sparkling wine, rosé rose in color, 
of which he's particularly proud. And if, if you're interested in that kind of aperitif, kind of swallow, whenever, whenever the right word is, enjoy, as, as, as I mentioned in the interview, we are one of the few people I know who have its own refrigerator for sparkling wine. <laughs> well, remember when, when I was doing the uh, events for women chefs and restaurateurs, who was the sponsor for that? And, and we all got all this wine. We, we had total refrigerators filled, every single one of us on the committee. The one was the one that had, was the champagne that had flowers on the bottle. Yes, the beautiful, beautiful yeah, bottle. I can't, I, can't, I can't remember what it was called. I can't remember either. But and, boy, uh, that was fun. I mean, everybody got wine and, <laughs> free. And the, and the story. And the champagne free. And the story, the story of uh, Road Creamery just, it, it just makes your heart beat faster because, because it's a, it's a success story based on a man who just wanted to bring the cheese making of France to the cheese making of Italy and two young men who decided that was what they would do with their future and and one of them still there David Gremmels is still there David David hear this yeah hear this we're great we continue to be great fans of your cheese and uh, we wish you continued success. And Anna Campbell, whose family goes back to the late 1960s, making wine, making wine in Oregon. Uh, we, we, we congratulate you for the wonderful job that you're doing out there and the product which we so much enjoy. So, well, so, so, so ladies and gentlemen around the world and around these United States in particular, we hope you enjoyed this week's program and we'll join you again same time, same place next week. And until then, bye-bye.